0: there. I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's Time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. How's it going? As the chief Java junkie here at Time for Coffee, I'm obviously a lover of caffeinated beverages, but I really try to keep that in check. I would love to know how many cups of coffee you drink every day and whether you use cream, milk, or like my next guest, some ghee. <laughs> Send me some snaps of you enjoying your favorite brew at Time, the number four coffee LLC. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? I would be so grateful if you would and make sure to rate and review t for c as well. Thanks so much. And please grab your mug or your glass of cold brew, or whatever it is you're enjoying now, because it is time for another caffeinated career conversation. And boy, are you in store for a treat today. In fact, I can tell you already that this may be an episode you're going to want to listen to a second time. That's because my next guest is that good. And what he has to share with you is that important to your health, your energy, your brain power and your happiness. Dr. Mark Hyman is a practicing family physician and an 11-time number 1 New York Times best-selling author and an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. He's also the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine and the founder and the medical director of the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox, Massachusetts. Dr. Hyman, welcome to Time for Coffee. I don't think you're caffeinated, but are you ready to go? I'm ready. I'm ready to go.
1: (laughs) Awesome.
0: Awesome. So I'd like to have you start by explaining to the Java Junkie community what functional medicine is
1: is. Sure. Well, functional medicine—I I sort of often joke—I said it's the opposite of dysfunctional medicine, which is what the rest of we have. <laughs> uh, and essentially, it's a way of thinking differently about disease. It's not a specialty or modality. It's a reimagining of our notions of health and disease based on this emerging science that teaches us that everything's connected. So we we in functional medicine ask a different set of questions. We want to know why instead of what. You know, we have now 155,000 diagnosis codes to tell you exactly what you have. You have a migraine, but it's a, this kind of migraine or that kind of migraine. You have rheumatoid arthritis or you have irritable bowel, or whatever the diagnosis is. Those are just labels we give to sets of symptoms that people share and tell you nothing about why you have those symptoms. So functional medicine is about understanding the why and the root cause, and then treating the cause and not the symptoms. It's treating the whole body as a system, not just the individual symptoms with different medications. Rather than using drugs, which are often blocking or interfering or inhibiting something in the body, we use things that help support the body. The difference between antibiotics, for example, which kill bugs, and probiotics, which help support normal, healthy bugs in your gut. That's just a, one obvious example, but it's, it's a, a whole system of thinking about how is the body operating as an integrated system. And you know, when you go to the doctor and you have a migraine and you have eczema and you have irritable bowel and you have sinus issues and you have, maybe you have some autoimmune disease, the do- you see a bunch of different doctors for that, as opposed to saying, how are all these connected? What is the underlying cause? Is it just bad luck that you have 12 different diseases? Does it mean you need 12 different medications or is there something that connects all these things will will be a common thread that you can treat and then everything goes away. That's really the approach. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the the science of creating health as opposed to the science of treating disease.
0: And as part of that belief, you believe that food is medicine and, and should be treated as such. And before we get into that, can you talk about how the food that Java junkies consume, or at least some of them consume, even as teenagers and young adults, may be making them sick? And what are the symptoms they may be experiencing right now that would be red flags for you as a physician?
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people walk around with what I call FLC syndrome. That's when you feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be any number of different symptoms from, you know, headaches to joint pain to fatigue to insomnia to depression to eczema to irritable bowel to asthma and on and on and on. And even more serious things like autoimmune diseases or neurologic diseases or digestive issues. I mean, it, it's all connected. And what we are learning now is that food is the most powerful drug and that it is not just calories, that it's information. And that information literally can upgrade or downgrade your biological software with every bite. And not over months or years, but literally within minutes or or, or hours. And that is because, um, you know, the food has not just protein, fats, carbs, fiber, but it actually has instructions like code that can change your biology. It's going to change the expression of your genes, change your hormones, change your immune system, change your microbiome, literally with every bite. So if you are putting poor quality information in your body, then you are going to get poor quality output junk in, junk out. And most of the food we're eating is not really food. In the last, you know, 100 years, we've dramatically changed our food system, our food supply. And, you know, 60%, for example, of our calories come from commodity foods subsidized by the government, including wheat, corn, and soy, which are essentially turned into flour, soybean oil, and corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, which are then turned into a myriad of different size, shapes, colors of processed foods, which are are not really health promoting. In fact, studies have shown that people who consume those foods get sick, and those who consume the most of those foods get the sickest. This is from a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So there's no doubt that we're putting in the wrong information. And I think it's important for people to realize that the quality of their food matters more than the quantity. The whole calorie-focused effort to lose weight and to get healthy is just completely misguided and doesn't actually reflect the science anymore.
0: Dr. Hyman, the Java junkie community are mostly 18 to 25-year-olds who, at least at this stage of their lives, are probably still able to eat what they want without really suffering some of the significant health problems that you are seeing in your practice among older people, with whether it's diabetes or Crohn's or high blood pressure, or things like that. But that doesn't mean that what they eat
1: isn't still affecting their physical and mental health, right? Absolutely. You can look fine on the outside, be really sick on the inside. So, aside from promoting chronic disease later, which people go, oh, whatever, you know, I'm really sick or not, but it actually does affect you right now. And often people will say to me, Dr. Hyman, I didn't know I was feeling so bad until I was feeling so good. And that is really an important concept because most people just think the way they feel is normal. And it may be just a little brain fog, it may be just a little fatigue, it may be a little sleep issues, it may be, uh, you know, issues around a little headache, this and that, a little post nasal drip, or whatever it is, people don't often connect the dots between what they're feeling and what they're eating. And the best way to do that is to change your diet for 10 days and see what happens. And, and, and I, I would say whether you're young or old, most people have issues, whether it's a little acne or whether it's this or that, people have issues. And I, I you know, of doing this for 30 years, I've rarely seen someone who's really just awesome.
0: Let's talk about sugar for a minute. Um, my 14-year-old son regularly mocks me, and I really mean mocks me, dismisses me. You know, when I tell him that they eating sugar is is really bad for you. And he says, I'm being overly dramatic. And, and this is somebody who eats roughly a half of a plastic sandwich bag full of white sugar, the equivalent, I should say.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact is that you, you disrupt your gut microbiome when you eat that much sugar, and that's often a big cause of psoriasis, including the gut inflammation that can lead to uh, you know the inflammation in your skin, so it can cause fungal overgrowth. you call CIFO small intestinal fungal overgrowth or SIBO, and that you know he might not notice any symptoms, but the truth is that when you are consuming that food, you will end up with distorted gut flora. You'll end up with inflammation. Sugar is very inflammatory, so I think uh, it sounds like he's got a lot of inflammatory issues, and he's just not connecting the dots. I don't know if he watches anything, but. Uh, You can watch Fed Up online on Netflix. It's a great movie to talk about the dangers of sugar and what it does to your body. So it might help them.
0: What about artificial sweeteners? Is that safer or better to consume than sugar?
1: Artificial sweeteners, uh, you know, there's still debate about it, mostly from the food industry. But most scientists agree that this a lot of properties in artificial sweeteners that may contribute to their promoting obesity and diabetes. They certainly alter gut flora. They lead to inflammation. Uh, There's been some interesting studies looking at how they drive inflammatory responses in the body, independent of the calories. So like I said, food is information. And the information in that food often is not necessarily calorie-driven. It's actually the molecules and how they actually drive different problems with uh, regulating inflammation and gut flora. and even hunger and appetite. You know, these sweeteners are often a thousand times sweeter than regular sugar and they end up causing more cravings and hunger and other issues.
0: You've now mentioned inflammation a few times. What is it? And why is it bad for you?
1: Inflammation is the basic driver of almost all chronic disease, whether it's diabetes, obesity, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, (laughs) and not to mention obviously all the obvious ones like autoimmune disease and allergies and asthma, eczema and psoriasis and all those. So it's a huge problem. Most of us don't realize that we live an inflammatory lifestyle. We don't eat whole food diet. We eat a lot of processed foods and sugar and inflammatory oils. We don't exercise, we're under chronic stress, we don't sleep, and all these things drive inflammation. So, by actually doing that, you're undermining your overall health and well-being, and we know that, for example, depression is an inflammatory disorder, that autism is inflammatory, that Alzheimer's is inflammatory, all these things we know for sure. Uh, so that's really the, the thing that people need to figure out, how do you actually shift that?
0: What about dairy, you know, milk, yogurt, ice cream, butter? The dairy industry tells us that it promotes healthy bones, right?
1: Of course, yeah. Well, of course you should listen to anything that comes from the food industry when it comes to dietary advice. That's always a good idea. (laughs) Just kidding. The truth is that the National Academy of Sciences was asked by Congress to review our dietary guidelines policies. And they came up with the view that a lot of it was unduly influenced by industry, that there was not a lot of data to support some of the recommendations, and there was huge amounts of data that they ignored. For example, there was very little data on this, the dairy issue, and it was pushed by the Dairy Council with conflicts of interest in the issue, conflicts of interest in the, in the policies and recommendations. Why should we be told to drink three glasses of milk a day per person and two glasses of your kid? In fact, the data show that it doesn't pre- prevent osteoporosis, it may increase it. It increases allergies, asthma, auto, autoimmune disease, type 1 diabetes cancer. So it's not necessarily nature's perfect food.
0: You've said that if you're overweight, there's a very good chance that you're a food addict. And do you really mean to say that they're addicts, you know, the way that there's some people who are drug
1: addicts? Well, there are, there are debates about this, uh, for sure, in terms of whether sugar and certain foods are biologically addictive. But I think if you begin to look at the data, you can see it's pretty impressive how the brain is changed by sugar. In fact, one of the most compelling studies was done by a guy named David Ludwig at Harvard who essentially took an overweight group of guys and one day he fed them a milkshake that was identical to the one he fed him like days later which is the same protein, same calories, same fat, same carbs, same fiber. Everything was identical. They tasted the same, except one of them had a very rapidly acting sugar in it. The other had a very slow acting carbohydrate, so it wasn't absorbed quickly. And the ones that, and they didn't know which one they were eating. Uh, the ones who actually had the high sugar one increased not, not only their blood sugar and insulin, their cholesterol got worse and inflammation got worse, but they were hungrier and more irritable. But when they looked at their brain scans it was remarkable they had complete activation of the nucleus accumbens which is the addiction center in the brain the same center that lights up with cocaine or heroin and i think you know we do see this in biology we see uh, even with animals withdrawal behavior we see animals always going to sugar instead of cocaine even for already addicted to cocaine so i think we have to be very smart about trying to understand how dangerous this is in certain people who get hijacked in their brains from the food they were eating which is pretty bad
0: (laughs) i thought you were going to say get high and you said hijacked but it is a form of a high when you get that sugar rush of course
1: of course it is yeah of course it is so how can we all we've all experienced it i mean you see kids who you know to have sugar, and then they're bouncing off the wall.
0: oh, yeah, I mean, you I can definitely feel it if I've eaten something that has an intense amount of sugar in it. Um, so how can someone who is a food addict or or really any of us detox?
1: Well, I wrote a book called the Ten Day Detox Diet, which is not about you know, traditional detox. It's about how do you deal with the biology of food addiction and the biology of being you know hooked on junk and sugar. And it's a very systematic approach that, is designed to rebalance your brain chemistry so you're not in this vicious cycle of craving and addiction, which so many people are. I mean, I, I know, when I saw people, you know, because of the sugar, they're like, well, can I have this, can I have that, can I have this, you know, can I have agave, can I have stevia, can I have, and they start going through a whole list, and I know those people are negotiating because we're taking away their drugs.
0: And what do you tell them?
1: I laugh and I say, you might be addicted, you might think of trying this approach, and I've had people come in and say, you know, there is no way that I ever get off of my addiction because I've been craving this for years. I've never been able to fix it. And I'm like, give me a couple of days. and Within two or three days, they're completely better.
0: Is it because you really do have to cut it out and it isn't like weaning yourself down to one chocolate chip cookie after dinner?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. You can't just like, well, I'm going to have one line of cocaine or I'm going to have one injection of heroin today. It doesn't work like that. you got to kind of go cold turkey at the beginning. Eventually, you are able to moderate it. But I think at the beginning, people really need to do a whole reset.
0: In your new book entitled Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? You have a nutrition IQ quiz that's true true or false. And I thought I could go through a few of the questions with you because I think the Java junkies could be surprised to hear the answers. Maybe you could explain why. One of them is about whole wheat bread, that it's a great way to get your
1: whole grains. Yeah, I mean, I think people are by this whole whole grain thing. You've got whole grain cookie crisp cereal and whole grain fruit loops. I' like it's kind of gotten out of control. And I think people under need to understand that even when they have whole grain flour, it's just like having regular flour, maybe a little, little bit better, but not much. If you want to have whole grains, eat the whole grain. Now if you want to have a couple wheat berries, all right, but if you want to have wheat flour, That's not going to work because even though you're having whole wheat flour, it still acts like sugar in your body. In fact, the glycemic index of sugar is less than the glycemic index of bread. Oatmeal
0: is the most nutritious thing you can eat for breakfast. True or
1: false? Uh, False. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, I got. I know. I wrote the book. I did it right. (laughs) Thank you. It was not a trick question, right? Uh, So the idea is that if you have a study which was done looking at oatmeal for breakfast, steel cut oats, or an omelet, same calories in overweight kids. The kids who had the oatmeal for breakfast ate 81% more food over that day. And then they, who had the steel cut oats, they ate 51% more food than the people who had the omelet. So we think eggs are bad for us. It turns out they're probably the best breakfast food and that oatmeal isn't necessarily healthy. And they talk about oatmeal and heart disease. Well, not necessarily, because you're going to increase insulin resistance, you increase adrenaline. If you're having oat bran, yes. But most people aren't eating oat bran. They're eating refined oatmeal. And even if they're having still oats, it's still an issue.
0: So just one more of these uh, true and false questions. You should eat at least two to three servings of grains each day.
1: I think some people can do that if they're, you know, Athletes and they do okay with grains. But most of the time, you know, you're eating grains, you're actually stimulating insulin, which is the hormone that makes you gain weight. It makes you hungry and it provides all the fuel for all the chronic diseases. So a little bit of whole grains are fine. It's just, it shouldn't be a huge staple in our diet.
0: How, and I recognize you wrote a whole book on this, and we certainly hope that our Java junkies will buy food. What the heck should I eat? But just to kind of give them a bite-sized piece of it now how can they start eating themselves healthy
1: well it's pretty simple i mean i think people should basically avoid things that have any ingredients that are not food (laughs) so if it's something you wouldn't have in your cupboard you shouldn't eat it if you don't have a bottle of high fructose corn syrup in your cupboard you shouldn't have that if you don't have MSG or butylate hydroxy hydroxytoluene—you probably shouldn't eat any food with that in it. So it should be basically ingredients you recognize and can pronounce, and you know are basically real food. Uh, and then you know just focus on eating real ingredients, like real whole foods. I think it's really pretty simple. Lots of low glycemic vegetables, lots of good fats, things like olive oil and avocado and nuts and seeds—all those are fine and eating good quality protein that's basically, you know, sustainably raised or harvested, you know, fish or animal foods. I mean, there's certainly a whole conversation about vegan and vegetarian and, you know, carnivore that we probably could have, but I think I think the evidence doesn't really support vegan diets being healthier than diets that include animal protein. But it shouldn't be, you know, giant, you know, twelve ounce steaks. I mean small amounts of good quality animal protein will give you what you need.
0: Can you explain to our Java junkies what the gut-brain connection is and how the food they eat is affecting their ability to retain what they're studying, to have the energy to study, or
1: to perform well in their jobs? Well, yeah. I mean, just food is going to be the biggest thing that's driving mood and cognitive function. So if you want your brain to work, you got to feed your brain right. I think most people don't understand that that's something that you can do by simply eating the right food and i think it's really important to understand that if you if you also understand you're feeding your gut flora when you eat that's also important your your microbiome down there which is determines everything in terms of your cognitive function in terms of your mood in terms of your overall well-being and energy essentially is so important that you are feeding it with every bite you are either fertilizing the good bugs or you're feeding the bad bugs and that's the only time to are good health or bad health.
0: You have this uh, docu series, the the Broken Brain, and as part of it, I thought it was really interesting to hear about the fact that the gut is
1: called the second brain. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's called the second brain because you've got you know <laughs> some more neurotransmitters in your brain than you in your gut than you do in your brain, and that you've got a whole thing called the enteric nervous system, which is essentially a second nervous system that's connected to your actual nervous system to your brain. But it's really important to understand that you are affecting it by everything you eat and how much fiber you're having and stress and, you know, medications you take all affect your brain. So it's really important to to focus on eating the right foods that are gonna fix your gut.
0: Doctor Mark Hyman, thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and with the Java Junkie community today. Really appreciate you trying to educate and and help uh, these young people to hopefully live happy, healthy, uh, successful lives.
1: Of course. I mean, that's what we all deserve. And I think most people don't realize how close they are to actually feeling good. I think if people have any issues with their health or any problems with their brain or whatever that doesn't leave them feeling amazing every day, then they should try to connect the dots and try the 10-day detox and see what that does.